Um, part of our just posturing as a community going into 2021 is, um, which obviously is, we're going to get into more here in terms of teaching, is just how do we position ourselves, bolster our habits in terms of prayer and seeking the Lord, hearing God, um, obtaining discernment and wisdom for the days which lie ahead, and just as kind of like a precursor to what I want to say this morning, and as transitioning from what a blessing that Wednesday was, and also to say that we'll do it again. Um, I'm going to do a couple more throughout the year of just times of singing and praying, interspersing and interlacing those two things together. Um, Just feeling this morning an urgency to admonish you all towards a, a heart and life. Use those two intentionally. A heart and a life posture of preparation and preparedness. I think, I mean, what a week we had this week. Yeah? I mean, even if you're kind of like bury your head in the sand kind of individual, or if you are like on the deep web conspiracy theorist, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, like what, what a week we have had in terms of what's happening within this nation and, and globally. And so I want to say this morning, in sobriety of heart, that the word I believe that the Lord is giving us is preparation. And that comes in many different facets and levels in our life. That is, of course, spiritual preparation in our hearts. What are we doing to ground and to root ourselves in light of the many things that we hear on a daily basis? Um, Familial preparation. How are we preparing our children? How are we preparing our spouses? Listen, this isn't, this isn't like a doom and gloom. This is just to say, let's open our eyes to what's happening around us. And what are we doing to prepare ourselves? And that might just mean, how are you being prepared spiritually and familiarly for the difficulties that you might be having financially? I mean, perhaps it only increases. Perhaps. Only the Lord knows. But I say this, brothers and sisters, the Lord is doing something. He is about his work And I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine this weekend. The root of the Christian heart and mind is the sovereignty of God. If God is not sovereign, then all of this that we say and profess and sing and seek has no real significance to our life. And what I mean by God being sovereign is that he's in control. And not only is he in control, but he's orchestrating and you might look at the, the world around you and go like, well, what is, how in the world would he be using you know, a siege on the nation's capital to bring something about? Well, that's the mystery of God. And it isn't to say that the Lord causes those people to do those things. There's instances where the Lord actually moves on people's hearts to do something, and there's also moments where he allows things to happen. And I believe what we're seeing right now is a combination of both of those things. And so to us who go, well, what is it? What do I do? How do I be prepared? Do I just go back in bed and pull the covers up over my heads today because I'm laid off of work? Or do I get up and do I engage with the Lord in what he's doing? So just as an encouragement, let's be prepared. I also felt, too, I was talking with Rick in the beginning here, as a community to be prepared. And I think that requires some, probably some more pursuing what does it mean to be prepared as a community? How can we come alongside of each other more than maybe we already have up to this point? What, what do the days ahead look like? And, and again, how do we posture ourselves so that what we don't find is us suddenly on our back foot just reacting to things that happen? So I hope that's okay. And I hope that you, I, I, I feel like that's from the Lord this morning. And, um, and that could be for tomorrow or it could be for weeks that follow. I don't know, but the Lord does. And so we come on Sundays and we come on Wednesdays and we sing, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. Why? Because he's sovereign, because he's in control, because he's working in all of these things. So if there's anything that we espouse as believers, it's that hope and peace. And that was the word that I kept coming up with this friend of mine over the weekend in all of these things. Um, It's the peace of God that we have. Boy, what a wonderful place to be. And that's not an elitist or like, yeah, I've got it all figured out. It's just to say that the Lord has brought me and us into something by 
his kindness and his love. And that something is the security of a life that's in him, knowing at the end of the day, God's got us and God's doing something. So I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. And I'll use that now just to trans- transition or as our South African friends say, transition, which I don't know how you get the word transition from transition, but somehow the South Africans do it. So last week we began um, a new series for the new year. It's a series, I don't know exactly how long it will go, but um, it just feels like right now I'm like the Lord's a few steps ahead and I'm following behind and then you guys are like probably a step right behind me. I don't know, just in terms of what God is doing. So uh, we started a new series on prayer last week and, and I, I think it's, it behooves us to continue in it for some time. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that this could be a, a more well-timed effort for us as a faith community than this moment. And so therefore I would say, I think that it really necessitates our fullest attention. And I'm not just talking attention and you listening to what I'm saying. I'm saying attention as it pertains to what is being said, what is God speaking to you in terms of what, what are, what's being highlighted from week to week, what do you feel stirred in, what do you feel convicted in in your life, what do you leave here thinking, gosh, that needs to change? That's what I mean by let's make sure that we give our fullest attention to it. And so I'm asking for all of us to put away our preconceived ideas as to if or how much we think that we need to mature in this discipline or this Christian habit of prayer. And this was a part to what I felt like the Lord is speaking to us, is that we need to relinquish ourselves over to him. And so I said last week, there's a spectrum, right? Again, there's always a spectrum to things. There's a spectrum to this habit, this Christian habit of prayer. There's some who are really diligent, who I would look to and admire and say, man, I want to be as disciplined and as fervent as you are in your prayers. And then there's others who struggle to just find even a rhythm to it and to really understand the significance of it and it feels laborious. So I understand there's a spectrum, but regardless of where we are on this spectrum of of our maturity in this habit, what we can all admit to is that it's something that we need to grow in. Can we agree to that at least? If you don't agree with me, then I don't know. This might be hard for you this morning. Yeah, right. If you don't agree with me, come on up here and you got the mic this morning. No, that that sounds like I've got it all figured out. Um, So I began last week. So last week I spoke on the necessity of prayer. The title of last week's teaching was the priority of which we must give to praying. And I would say that prayer, uh, or as I said last week, that prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to his people. And I believe one of the most strategic and, and of the greatest designs, in a sense, if you will, of habits and practices that God has given to his people, prayer. But yet, at the same time, what is meant to be such a blessing, and as I said, is often seen as such a burden. Prayer f- feels laborious, it feels difficult, it feels burdensome, and therefore, sometimes we just forego it altogether. And I spoke as to why is that? Why does prayer feel difficult? And I talked about the effects that sin has had on us as humans, and how sin has actually severed or made, made uh, a severance, severance, is that a word in this regard? He's paid us, severing. Severance is when you get paid, severing is when something's broken, right? God has not given us a severance other than our eternal life, which we'll one day have, a future severance. There's been a, a, a severing because of sin between our spirit and our flesh, and then as we saw Paul talks about now, the war that goes on between the spirit, what we, we know what we want, the, the, the things that the spirit of God stirs within us that we, that we want to do and we ought to do, and the holiness and, and, the, and the, the righteous acts, and then of course, that which we struggle with, the, the flesh part of us, which is that battles against it, it's getting up in the morning, it's you know, whatever your flesh battle is. Um, that's the war that we wage. And I identified three basic kind of general hindrances that I felt were going to be helpful as we go through the series because underneath them we find a lot of other more specific hindrances that we come against fall in. And they were this, that number one, that we lack understanding in prayer. A hindrance to our prayer maturity and growth is that we lack understanding at times to prayer. The second is that we lack discipline in prayer. 
I mean, is that, I'll raise my hand. I struggle with discipline and prayer at times. Yeah. Thank you. I see that hand. And the third is that we lack faith at times. It doesn't mean we lack faith in Christ. Our faith is in Christ. If we have been saved, our faith has been placed in Christ. It's that we, we lack a trust at times and a belief that that which we are engaging in is either effective or fruitful or beneficial or you know, whatever the difficulty is in that moment that we come against. And so at times, maybe the overarching issue is that faith is the issue for you or maybe perhaps at times it's just an ongoing struggle at times. And so this brings us here today. So if last week was an admonishment for us to see the great need for prayer, then I would say that this week would be the next step forward of moving towards maturity, which is a call to see the great privilege that prayer is. Like the gathering of the saints this morning, or like worship in song, or in prayer, or like the communion that we partook in at the Lord's table, prayer, listen, let's look at what prayer is in its nature. Prayer has been given by God uniquely to his people. Prayer isn't something that everybody else does. Now, I say that, and I say I was watching that super stupid movie from the 80s, Romancing the Stone. Has anybody seen that movie? I had never seen that movie until about two weeks ago. So I was watching Romancing the Stone, and there's this character, Ralph, by Danny DeVito, and he's running along, and he does like what we see in every movie. He's going like, oh, God, if you just save me from this, I promise I'll follow you tomorrow, or something like that. You know, I'll promise that tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be a better man. Like, that's the context that we see publicly for prayer oftentimes. Or when we're in a place of need, when things are difficult, then people somehow find this practice of prayer. But I want to say that prayer, as ter- in, in terms of a, an ongoing, regular habit and means of communion with the Lord, is uniquely given to his people. It's for us. And so we see it that way. We see it as a privilege We see it as a joy and as a benefit. And I wanted to say this too, because I I meant to say this last week, just as a quick aside, and I'll tie it into prayer. Three weeks ago, during worship, Shan and I and the kids were still at home, so we were worshiping online, and Kevin stood up in the middle of the singing portion, and he gave a word out of 2 Peter, and he talked, um, the text out of 2 Peter was that we didn't, follow cleverly devised myths. And, uh, but the word that came from it that followed the text in 2 Peter was that we needed to see clearly. We needed to see clearly. And I felt that last, this last week that that has really been highlighted in my own heart, the need to see clearly, the call for us as his people to see clearly. And then, interestingly, last Wednesday when we were here in that really super secret meeting last Wednesday, when we were here last Wednesday and we were worshiping in song and we were praying, uh, there was a portion of our time that we flowed into that was prayer for the refining of God in our lives personally and within his church. And I felt like those two, which seem like maybe they don't go together, but there was something that I felt like God was just speaking in terms of seeing clearly and being in the process of being refined. And so I say that to bring back into this morning that I believe that prayer is a key component to that process of both clarity. And I said this last week in Proverbs. Proverbs speaks of that it is wisdom and understanding that comes from God. So if you want to understand what is happening today, that insight will come from God. And so to see clear is to receive insight and wisdom from God. To be refined is to allow that insight that we're given to then work through us and allow the Lord to strip away the stuff. And that was the prayer on Wednesday. Man, to strip away the hindrances, strip away the, the obstacles that are keeping me from growing in my life into maturity, from progressing f- progressing. Gosh, I'm struggling here sometimes. Progressing forward. I think I do it for you guys. I just want you to know that. I purposefully mix up words so that you can get a little chuckle. I am. My my severance is progressing. I do it for you. I do it everything I do. Okay, moving on. All right, so I want to begin this morning with something that I said last week. 
<laughs> I've been, Shannon and I have been watching a lot of British baking shows. Man, where is Catherine here this morning? Oh, Catherine, I just want to sit with you and have you go through all the different expressions that the Brits use. It is so fantastic. So if I, if I, if I like start speaking, I can't even think of something right now, but like they talk about being chuffed. When things are really great, it's like, I'm all chuffed, you know? I don't know. If it starts working in, it's because we're watching a lot of BBC. So I want to start where, where, on something I said last week. And in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at Matthew 6 again this morning, so you can open up if you've brought your Bibles. You can open to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. But I just want to say that the, the context again for it is that we see um, in Luke's recording Jesus has been praying in a setting, it says, and directly following the disciples observing him having been praying. It doesn't tell us what the context is, but the request made by the Lord's disciple is, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just am stirred by that petition. And so I'm going to come back to that this morning and just say, as we begin, our request is to remember that it is the Lord who teaches. We come into the instruction of the great teacher. We come into the guidance of of our great shepherd this morning. So Lord, teach us how to pray, I ask. So the title um, of this portion is within, within Matthew chapter six is the Lord's Prayer. It's very common. As I said last week, I'm gonna probably use it, not necessarily teach through every bit of it, but it's a very, very, well, again, if the Lord says this is how you pray, then I would say it would behoove us to consider what he's saying. So he says, this is how we pray. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I can't wait till we get to that verse. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I'm entitling this morning's teaching, The Position of Prayer. The Position of Prayer. And similarly to last week, I'm going to just focus on a small portion of the text that we just read. In fact, I think last week was five words. This week is going to be four. So we'll see what next week is. It might be three or two that we concentrate on. I don't know. At some point, I'll just walk in and I'll say, Jesus. One word, Jesus. And then we'll teach. So I'm going to just concentrate on these four words So picking up halfway through verse 9, pray then like this, and we come to this statement, and Jesus says, pray like this, and he gives us these four words, our Father in heaven. How many times have we read that, and do we just get along to the context or, you know, more of of the meat and potatoes of what Jesus is saying, but there's something incredibly significant and profound as to why Jesus began with these four words. And I would say this, it's here within these four words, our Father in heaven, that we find the doorway to prayer. It's the doorway by which his followers have been introduced. Everything that we speak in prayer, everything that we proclaim, our requests, our confessions of faith within prayer, all of them are founded on two significant positional truths that are found within these four words. Firstly, it's within the first two words that Jesus presents the oh so significant and wonderful truth that the Christian's position is one in which we are invited to approach God as Father. Our Father, there's a reason why Jesus began with that. Such a significant truth It's also significant to point out that that within this, what we find within Matthew and within the New Testament now is the introduction to a new layer, to a radical New Testament truth. And that is that God is Father. Think about it for a moment. The Old Testament, God was never Father. He was Yahweh, the one in whom exists within unapproachable light. He was was the, the God who was near, but yet also completely otherly and transcendent. And while he is still that, the beauty of the New Testament, which is the the beauty of which Jesus Christ, through his life and ministry on earth, and of course, death and resurrection, 
is that he has introduced his believers into a new layer, a new level of intimacy and knowing God, and that is knowing God as Father. Jesus models it all throughout. There's this really unique relationship of, between the Father and the Son. But you know what this is? We just finished our study last year through the book of Hebrews. This is a fulfillment in part of the Abrahamic covenant. This is what was inaugurated all those centuries ago. The promise that God gave to Abraham that many would be his, his offspring. And we know that now Jesus Christ made way for you and I and the millions of others who have placed their faith in him to be called sons and daughters of God. So now we have this wonderful and beautiful new layer of God, knowing God as Father. So the first position is that of the Christian's position of being in Christ, of being a son or a daughter. And then the second within these, our Father in heaven, is the Lord's position. It's, the, it, it's in this that's the basis upon which everything within our Christendom hinges. It's a top-down reality of the exalted and the supreme state of Jesus Christ and the omnipotence of the Father over all of his creation. There is a position, if you will, that the Lord holds today. And it was, as I said in the beginning, it's over all things. And again, if he is not sovereign over all, I think you and I probably have a lot to be worried and sorrowful about. So these two positions form the foundation for the reality of our entrance and the access that we have into prayer as well as our assurance and our confidence in prayer. So not only does it bring us, does it allow us to come in, but it also gives us confidence and assurance that what we say will be heard. And when we pray in accordance with the will, it is answered. Beginning with God as Father is the entrance into the power of the effectual prayer of the believer. Because to understand this is to take a firm hold of the privilege and the right that we have to seek God and the right that we have to be heard and to be answered. You hear what I'm saying? To be a child of God means that we have a right to come to God. It means God is our Father means that we have a right to seek him and to be heard by him. So regardless of how you feel so practically in that statement, is that it, whether it's like the morning fog that we battle or perhaps it's like the evening cloud that hangs over us when we, when we can muster up nothing else in that moment of prayer unto the Lord, may it be this confidence that we can immediately enter into a place of, of acceptance and accessibility to God as Father. And just this simple point has such a profound impact on how we pray, doesn't it? To approach the Lord as Father? It has for me. Is the more I've been thinking about this, I'm finding myself, as I settle in in moments to seek God, to begin with Him as Father. And we don't always have to speak the name Father, but, but this was something that Rick and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago as we were just discussing maybe these, this next series on prayer. He was sharing his own story of a professor in Bible college who said that uh, as they were studying through the book of Matthew, that we come to this portion of the text and how easy it is that we find ourselves at times when we begin with God as Father to simply just get stuck there in a good way and to find ourselves that the, the, the subject matter is so vast and that the, the profundity of that truth is so deep that God is Father, that we are accepted, that we are children, that we are cared for and loved and hidden and protected and, pro and all the things that comes in the dynamic that we just find ourselves caught up in worship in that place of God as Father. And I myself, as I said, have, so I've been beginning with this position, if you will, of reminding myself in my own times of beginning with God as Father. And so for those of us who have children, the earthly model of parents to their child makes this, I think, so easily for us to apprehend. Do our children come to us 
in confidence on the basis that they will be heard because they've managed to put together a really compelling, emotive, and, and like a well-articulated case for their request. Sometimes I think my kids think they do that, right? If they want to play video games, they send the one who's going to ask the best and put this most, you know, really brilliant case uh, on the table for consideration. But is that how we view them as parents? We're just waiting for them to get it with like the right emphasis and to let, oh, dad, would you please consider, right? With like a sense of passion and fervency or, or are they confident that we will hear and, and also hear and respond appropriately, not because that, you know, we love being needed, but because it's our joy and it's our love and it's within our ability to fulfill their requests in accordance with our plans and wishes. That's how our children come to us. Listen, I mean, there's a reason, obviously, for more than just one purpose why God has given us in the significance of the, of the model of family. But there's so many parallels in the family structure that points back to just the nature of God and to the relationship between him and his people. And, and that is one of them. So when you or think back, if you don't have children, think back to about being a child and the requests that you would make unto your parents. And here we have a wonderful example of how God hears us. And I, I should also say this, that when we hear their requests as parents, which may not always fully align with our own, right? No, you just played three hours of video games or an hour of video games yesterday. You know, you don't need to do that again. So the request isn't necessarily in line with what we would desire in our will. What do we do? We gently, we don't just <clears throat> browbeat them. We gently bring them back to a place of, no, you know what? You did this yesterday. This is what I want for you today. And that, is that not too how the Lord also aligns us with his will. When we begin to make requests for things that might not quite be there with what he has either shown us within scripture or what we know to be true, it's like now through prayer, the Lord just realigns our hearts with his own, which again, as I said last week, is why beginning in a posture of worship is so important. Let the beginnings of our prayers be towards him and of him, about him, speaking of his greatness, his nature, his kindness, all the things that are resonating within you in that moment, let your prayer be worship unto the Lord. And as you worship him, he responds to you. And as he responds to you, he begins to align your will with his own. And then our requests come from a place, I think, of, of better and more accurate according to what he would want. Andrew Murray says this, as it is to... The, the blessing of coming to the Lord as Father, that the blessing of the prayer closet does not depend on the strong, fervent feeling with which I pray, but on the love and the power of the Father to whom I there entrust my needs. Whoa, what a wonderful observation on prayer. It's not how much I can muster up. You are heard on the basis of your sonship and daughterhood. You are accepted on that basis. Your prayer is heard because God has designed that prayer is a medium by which we commune with him. Prayer is not dependent on eloquence, nor on an ability to articulate a theological truth. I was talking with somebody yesterday about this very thing. One of the difficulties of praying together is that we oftentimes feel inadequate in our own prayers. And we just say, ah, you know what? Kevin prays so much better than me. I'm just going to let Kevin do it. See, that's the wrong approach to prayer because it has nothing to do with how well you can articulate any one truth. It has to do with you releasing and engaging your faith in a medium which God has created for you to do so. It's not, it's not dependent upon the amount of words that we can string together. How often do we do that? We give ourselves like a 60-second runway. It's like, Father, Lord, God, Lord, Father, Heavenly Father, we just love you. We pray. It's like we have to prime our own pump. That's okay. That's okay if you have to do that because I get it. Sometimes we do need to prime the pump a little bit. But, but that is not dependent. You're, again, whether you're heard or whether he responds is not dependent on how many words 
we string together, nor how wonderful it sounds. My confidence, my hope, my assurance, my confidence, my hope, my assurance in prayer doesn't lie in the amount of emotion that is delivered, nor does it, uh, nor does it matter is it, is it based on how good or how bad I've been coming into prayer. Whether I have sinned in some really egregious way right before it does not affect how I, my ability to come into prayer. Now, it might affect the way you pray, <laughs> and it should actually affect the way you pray, but it doesn't affect the fact that you can pray and that you can come into the Lord. My, but rather, it's leading up to the point that my... my My confidence is found in that I have a father who hears and a father who is both powerful and able. So this is the first position, the position of the Christian to come into prayer through the doorway of God as father. And then the second positional truth found in Matthew 6 is that it is coming to our father who then we believe and know and trust is Lord over all. It's in this place of authority that our Lord lives as king over all. It's one of which he operates from him from whom all life proceeds as the hymn that we sing on Sundays. This is who we come to. God from whom every good and perfect gift is given. He's the father of lights, as James would say. The father over the heavens is James' point. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the one with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning to finish James' thought. That is who we come to. Do we have this top-down view of God when we come to prayer? I think sometimes we approach God too much to our detriment like a friend, like he's someone we're just going to confide something in. And there's, of course, God is near to us in an intimate way, but to understand and to approach prayer through the, the mindset of God as Lord over all. Again, the top down, like when we studied through that book last year on the attributes of God, how that does marvelous things to expand our view and thus affect the way that we believe and approach and understand who God is and how he works, right? So it, 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 it is of such great importance that we come to him with this recognition. He is above all. He's in control of all, and therefore he is able to give beyond all in accordance with his perfect will. Look at, with, uh, at 1 John. Turn there with me, please. 1 John chapter 5. Just to keep our fingers moving, right? I could put these up on the screen. I could read them to you, which I will but it's also good to remember that this is the word of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. When we approach God in this way, I think we are enlivened to the reality that our trust rests on the basis of his might. It says this, verse 14. And this is the confidence. There's that word, I love that. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why? Because of our sonship and our daughterhood. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. What interesting statement that John makes here. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. You see, again here, as I said last week, There's mystery in this. We know this because the the experience of our life testifies to this fact that we don't always obtain everything that we ask for. So here John is saying to us, our confidence lies in the fact that we know that when we ask, we're heard. And if we're heard, then we know that we have the things that we have asked for. But we say, yeah, but John, that's not always experientially true. Why is that? Well, it's because you know better than God, right? No, it's because God knows better than we do. It's because we don't always understand the manner in which or the time in which we're asking for something, even if it's in accordance with God's will. And even there, there's mystery in which God, it might be, 
It might feel timely. It might, it might seem necessary at this moment to lay your hands on someone and make a, a prayer of faith for healing for a physical ailment, and yet God doesn't heal. And we leave there going, well, I guess, you know, do I just not have faith for it? Or did the person that I was praying for not have faith for it? This is the mystery in prayer, brothers and sisters. We don't always know, but what James tells us is the, or John tells us is the confidence that we have comes in the fact that we know that we are heard. And if we're heard, then we know that we have the things that we're asked for. May us continue, continue on diligently in prayer, in faith. And I love this. I want to share with you uh, a quote by Charles Spurgeon because I was um, studying this week and I came across this quote. And man, it hit me square between the eyes. So get ready for this. Charles Spurgeon says this, My brethren, there is no need for prayer at all as far as God is concerned. Think about that for a moment. But what a need there is, there is for it on our own account. In other words, prayer has been given to us for us. God doesn't need for us to pray. God doesn't need for you to ask him of something you need. He already knows. God doesn't need for you to ask him to heal you. He knows that you're sick. God knows all of these things. But yet he has somehow designed that within it, its purposes are to conform our will and our thinking into alignment with him. And it's to, as I said earlier, to clarify and to refine our hearts. And so he goes on to say, well, let me just read it again. There is no need for prayer at all as far as God is concerned, but what a need there it is. There is for it on our own account. If we were not constrained to pray, I question whether we would even live as Christians. If God's mercies came to us unasked, they would not be half so useful as they are now when they have been sought for. For now we get the double blessing, a blessing in the obtaining and a blessing in the seeking. The very act of prayer is a blessing. So my question to you today, church, is what is our posture when we approach prayer? Is it consistent with what I've just said that we have not only the right to draw near, but the blessing of being heard and answered on the basis of our sonship and daughterhood. And I want to just spend the, the last few moments here drilling down into that for a moment because I, I think it's important for us to remember that the basis of this is, is, the, is the, the theological or the Christian doctrine of adoption. John, 1 John 3, he tells us two chapters earlier, see what kind of love the Father has given to us in verse 1, that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. The outpouring of God's love upon us results in our adoption. And I love how John, he makes a statement and then he just says, and so we are. It's like, resolve that in your heart. That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a daughter of him. You are a son of him. Romans chapter eight, you can turn there if you'd like. Romans chapter eight, Paul will say this, and there's definitely more to be said on it, but I won't say it today. But it's a significant aspect, both of prayer as well as our adoption. Beginning in verse 14, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. And, and, and again, ladies, don't, don't get must, uh, you're ruffled up. You've not been left out. The Greek word is inclusive of both men and women, all right? So it's not down with the patriarchy this morning, okay? No, you're there. You are sons and daughters of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen, 
Brothers and sisters, it is the cross that has made our entrance secure as sons and daughters of God. Adoption was brought about by Jesus Christ through his death and by his resurrection. Through death, he purchased us as a people for his own possession, 1 Peter 2.9. Through his death, he purchased us as a people for his own possession. Through his resurrection, we have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2.6. So in death, we were purchased, and in his resurrection, through our unity with him by faith, we are risen with him, and and it goes so far, Paul will say in multiple places, that we are to be found in Christ. And I've said this before, so that when the Father looks at each one of us, he sees us first and foremost through the lens of Jesus Christ and his word. That is why we can be called holy and righteous, even in our sinful state. We are accepted, we are loved, and we are his own possession. And then, of course, if we are in Christ, as we studied in Hebrews, the work of Jesus Christ goes on forever. He is now the high priest whose work and order never ends. And so, therefore, we are eternally in Christ, secured in him forever. Are you following me in this? I'm giving you like a bunch of just theological meat all in one fell swoop here, but to lay the basis for the fact that it was the cross that has brought us into adoption. So adoption then is attested through the indwelling of the spirit, which is what Paul will say here in Romans. This is the point of Romans chapter eight. So then in these moments when we don't feel like we're sons and we don't act like we're daughters, we are reminded of the fact that God by his grace and love and care has given us his spirit that indwells us if you've come into faith to live obediently unto him and to remind us, as Paul would say, it's by the spirit of God that we cry out, Father. Yes, praise the Lord Jesus. This is something that only he could possibly do. And I'll land here quickly, I promise. Adoption is the sovereign act whereby God reorients us the, the Colossians statement of Paul, he transfers, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So adoption is the act whereby God reorients us, bringing us into his family of whom he is the head and from whom he is the source now of all understanding and wisdom. So to be identified with Christ, as Paul so often tells us, is to be identified as one of God's own is to be identified as his son and to his daughter. And as his own then, coming back around to prayer as his own, that means that we can approach him. And it also means that he draws near to us. I'm so thankful that prayer doesn't have this massive chasm that we have to cross. Aren't you? What a, what a peace and hope there is in that. Man, it's like, it's immediate. We draw near to him and he comes close to us. Brothers and sisters, we'll, and I'll talk about this more, but prayer is designed for us to commune with God, not just for us to say a bunch of words to him, even if they're right and true, but it's for him to respond to us as well. So I think that to remember here that this is simply the beginning, our God in heaven, coming to God as Father, these two positional truths that we are positioned in Christ, that we are his children, that he is our Father, and he is our all-powerful, sovereign Lord, to these two positional truths, let's remember in, in terms of just reminding ourselves of what joy lies in front of us, this is just the beginning. We're just scratching the surface of what God has designed in prayer. This is the doorway, again, as I said, the entrance into prayer. And what a joy and encouragement this is. And I hope that you're finding your own faith, or perhaps if you don't have faith, I hope that you're 
being enlivened into an interest of what it is I'm speaking of today because it is the greatest joy that can be experienced in life to have a father who never fails, to have a father who is faithfully present, to have a father who hears, who speaks, who loves, and as much as I love my father and as much as my father loves me, and as faithful as he has been as a father to me as his son, even still he falls short in what the father's love is towards us. And so the, the, oftentimes the encouragement is that if you have had a poor example of an earthly father, which now is so often you know, a prominent reality, prevalent, thank you, reality. I liked prominent though, Doug. <laughs> reality for so many people. They both work, right? Yeah. I knew that one. That's why I said it with confidence. But that's why, that's why this message of the Christian hope is so significant. Because what we, man, I tell you, what a powerful gospel moment. When, you, when someone is sharing their story with you and, and their schism, if you will, in their life comes from a poor father example, how quickly we can point to and take them to a father. And, and not only just give them, you know, like, well, he is the perfect father, but that they can experientially come into, they can experientially come into, sorry, this is my child. I'm trying to get someone's attention to stop him. Please stop. That's on the camera. Put the camera on him. No, I'm just kidding. That's what, oh, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, I was, that was mean-spirited, dad. Yeah, apparently we do. So just to finish this morning, I, I would say this has been a lot of my own personal journey, you guys. As I stand before you today speaking these words, I do so in humility. Really, I do, and I think you guys know that. I speak these words in humility today because I too, right now, I feel like God is just bringing me on a journey. And I think that's okay for me to say that. You know, I definitely don't pretend to have all the answers, but what I do say in confidence is that I believe the Lord is leading me to lead you into a new season of fruitfulness in your own prayer life. And I'd say these last three years for me have been so tremendous in growing in this, in this particular area, but I know that I have a lot to learn. I do. I know that I have a lot to learn. And I think as we move forward from some of the fundamentals or the foundational things, I know that we're, and I believe that we're going to be getting into some real practicals as well. And I really love practical application things that we can grab a hold of. And, and so I intend on doing that, but there's just, there's some foundational truths that we really need to get right in our thinking that allows us then to start to build on top of that. And so that's what I'm hoping to do today. So I'll just leave you with this. I want to say that we must never think that we have somehow arrived at the, at the summit of the prayer mountain. May we always, each one of us, remain humble in this, whether you are a mature, prayer-believing, whatever, Christian, that's not how I wanted to put it together. Or whether you're a noob in the prayer life, like we all have a place to grow. And listen, I was thinking about this too. The journey isn't always like a singular incline. I think it's a trek that is long, much like the Christian life parallel. The Christian life is long and it has peaks and valleys. I think prayer does as well. And I think the Lord brings us in and out of different seasons in prayer to bring about things in our own lives. And so I thought I would just leave you guys today with the second half of that Spurgeon quote, because he goes on to say some wonderful things. And as I said, there are men and women who are so much more further along in their growth and maturity in prayer. And so I just wanted to leave you with these words this morning from Spurgeon. So I think I have it up. Uh, I think I put it together for the keynote. So I finished with his statement where he says that the very act of prayer is a blessing. And then he goes on, he says this about prayer. To pray, as it were, to bathe one's self in a cool, purling stream. And we don't even know what that means, huh? Because it's like old English. And so to escape from the, the heats of earth's summer sun. 
To pray is to mount on eagle's wings above the clouds and to get into the clear heaven where God dwells. To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to enrich oneself out of an inexhaustible storehouse. Is that not true? To pray is to grasp heaven in one's arms, to embrace the deity within one's soul and to feel one's body made a temple of the Holy Ghost. Apart from the answer, prayer is in itself a benediction. To pray, my brethren, is to cast off your burdens. It's to tear away your rags. It's to shake off your diseases. It is to be filled with spiritual vigor. It is to reach the highest point of Christian health. Well, beautiful, Charles. So thankful for men like him. And so I just end this morning by saying this, and you can agree with me. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Amen? Would you please stand with me? Father, I thank you that you are speaking to us. Lord, I am humbled to stand before this church and to lead them into this place that you are calling us. And Father, this morning, we go so joyfully and we go so, Lord, with all diligence, seeking you in this time. Lord, as to this call for preparation, I ask, my God, that you would stir us and begin to speak to us in the areas, Lord, where we are ill-prepared for the journey that lies ahead. Lord, we don't know if there are, are great global events, if there are national events, or even local here within our city, Lord, that might bring about uh, a tumultuous time, that might call the saints to some form of, of Christendom that we've never known before. But God, you know, and we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and ask you for wisdom, even though we might not know all the details. And so, Father, this morning, we ask for the sake of this church that you would begin to prepare us, each one of us, individually and also as a faith community. Prepare us, Lord, for the days that lie ahead. And I pray, Lord, that in that preparation would come just that word clarity, that we would begin to see rightly. And Lord, we know that seeing requires understanding. And so, Father, we pray that you would make the dominant form of our understanding your word. May it be, Lord, may it replace the Twitter accounts. May it replace, Lord, the, the other media sources, may our source of wisdom be your word by which all the other is filtered through. And Lord, in so giving us clarity, we pray, Father, that in that process as well, you would refine our hearts. Lord, that you would strip away, and as Hebrews says, that we would cast off the hindrances and the weights and the sins that keep us from running after you. Refine us, Lord. We, we, we gladly resign ourselves to the refining work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in that, just in that refining, it's, it's a purifying, it's a taking away of the impurities that are within us. And Lord, we know that there are many. And in it, we trust you. And we know that you, first and foremost, love us as children. And so we know that you will deal with us gently and mercifully, Lord. And I pray for those who have not known you or perhaps have only known little of you this morning, that what has been said, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that they too would find their hope and peace as you as their father. Strengthen us, we ask. And I pray that in all things, regardless of what surrounds us in the temporal, Lord, that we would be about your business of speaking this truth to those who don't know. Father, the darkness is not greater than the light. We have no fear. We do not fear what lies ahead. We simply trust you more fervently. May we be fixed upon you, Lord God, in this day and age. To the glory of your name, amen.